So I'm going to go ahead and invite you to turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 10, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 9. Uh, Now, so far in this book, this very big book, uh, we have uh, walked through the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs. We have learned along the way, of course, that the fear of the Lord is the foundation uh, for wisdom. And so if we fear the Lord, then we are wise. And not only that, we're also under God's protection. But if we don't fear God, we're a fool, (laughs) a fool who ultimately gets destroyed by our own ignorance. And so wisdom calls us to complete fidelity to God. Wisdom is essential to life because wisdom is the founding principle. It's the founding structure on which everything in creation is built, including our own lives or ought to be. That was broken when the fall occurred. And so the essence of wisdom is living for God in every detail of our lives. The fruit of our lives should be good works for God and a growing relationship with him. And we're going to see echoes of this in our very short passage today. And so whether we choose wisdom or folly, we are the ones who are responsible for the consequences of our decisions. And so these first nine chapters sort of laid the foundation for our understanding of the remaining 22 chapters. Now, in the remaining 22 chapters, there is some structure there. Uh, There are uh, four different contributors to the Proverbs, the main one, of course, being Solomon. Uh, We call this the Book of Solomon. Uh, This is chapters 10 through 24. And then King Hezekiah uh, had a collection of Psalms too, or Proverbs. I keep doing that in my own mind, Proverbs. Uh, So King Hezekiah had a collection in uh, chapters 25 through 29. And then uh, we see the sayings of Agur in chapter 30. And then finally we see the sayings of Lemuel in chapter 31. Beyond that, there are some sections of the Psalms you can kind of put together uh, that will be uh, coherent, but but mostly the remaining chapters are are unstructured lists of hundreds of individual sayings about what it means to live wisely in reverential fear of God, and these uh, proverbs are about a huge variety of situations and circumstances. And so given the loose structure of the Proverbs, I think it's a difficult book for us to go through line by line because we'd be jumping all over the place. If we went even chapter by chapter, it'd be the same thing. It'd be hard to be coherent in our understanding of this book. And so here's how we're going to meditate and go forward in this book. In my study of Proverbs, I've come up with 54 different categories of subject matter. And I tried to print it this morning for you, uh, but the printer didn't work. So uh, you can just imagine before you this list of 54 categories. And, uh, uh, and these categories range from family to prudent speech to pride and politics and all sorts of things. And so as we go forward in the coming weeks, uh, I'm not going to cover all 54 of those categories because, uh, my, my goodness, I'd be an old man by the time that we finish. Some of you may say I already am. But uh, we're not going to cover all 54 of those, but we are going to cover the major ones, the ones that, that really pop out as, as 
as having been repeated a lot uh, and, having, and, and being a big part of, of what is in Proverbs. We're also going to deal with some other more minor ones that might be helpful to us as individuals and as the body of Christ. And so today we begin with a major category. And this is a subject that's addressed over and over and over again in the remaining chapters of Proverbs. But it's a subject that we don't hear too often about uh, from the pulpit. And uh, at least in an explicit sort of way. But by my count, matters of integrity show up at least 101 times in Proverbs. You, can, you could probably go through it yourself and count more than that. Depends on how you, how you just categorize the individual Proverbs. But, but as often as the book of Proverbs brings up matters of integrity, I think the Holy Spirit through Solomon really wants us to know and to understand that integrity is one of the most important fruits of wisdom. We've seen integrity twice so far, and both of these instances are in chapter 2. And both highlight the blessing of walking in integrity. Proverbs 2, uh, verse 7b says, The Lord is a shield to those who walk in integrity. And then in verses 21 and 22, uh, For the upright will inhabit the land. Those with integrity will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out. And so you see here this dichotomy, uh, this contrast between uh, the blessings of living in integrity and, well, the dire consequences of not living in integrity. So the next time that we see integrity is in our verse this morning, in chapter 10, verse 9. And this, is, this appears in a, in a really long uh, series of contra- contrasting statements about the blessings and the benefits and the consequences of being righteous versus wicked, or wise versus foolish. And so allow me to read this, this very simple and short verse for us, and then we'll, we'll go on and, and begin to dig into what this means. So Proverbs chapter 10, verse 9. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. It's the word of the Lord, brothers and sisters. Now, our purpose today, again, isn't to to try to explore every situation or circumstance and and instance in which the concept of integrity individually appears in the book of Proverbs. We'd be here uh, till past supper time if we did that. But rather, what we're going to do is focus simply on what the Bible means by integrity, because I think this is very important for us to understand in this day and age. And so, as we begin to understand what the Bible means by integrity, uh, when we encounter integrity in the Proverbs, we're going to start to have a good understanding not only of what God means by it, but also what it means for us to be people of godly integrity. And so first, we're going to start with a very brief look at the very basic dictionary definition of integrity because that's where all of us start we're probably all sitting here trying to think trying to remember what integrity means exactly and this is the place that we usually start with this sort of thing and so that's where we'll start today and then secondly we're going to see what our culture says integrity is and this gets very interesting 
And then third and finally, we're going to get our heads screwed on straight about integrity when we examine the scriptures and find out how God defines it. And the truth that we're going to discover is very, very important for us, again, especially in this day and time. The truth uh, that we're going to discover today is that biblical integrity means that we are true to God. doesn't mean anything else. It means that we are true to God. And so let's take a look first at this very basic definition of integrity that we find in the concise Oxford English Dictionary. Uh, I was going to say that we, you know, that's, we, we turn to dictionaries and open the book, but these days we Google it, right? Uh, but the concise or the English, uh, uh, Oxford English Dictionary in full, the big one, is the best dictionary uh, in, there is for the English language. But here's what the dictionary says about integrity. Integrity is the quality of having strong moral principles. It's the state of being whole. And so we can even talk about uh, not not just integrity in terms of, of ourselves and other people, but we can also talk about the integrity of a building. You know, and, and this building, we're, it's over 100 years old, and here it stands because it's, it's well built. It's of solid construction. The foundation is strong. And so here we are still worshiping after more than a hundred years. Our English word integrity comes from a Latin root meaning soundness, wholeness, completeness. And which it turns out is very similar to the definition of the Hebrew word for integrity, which we're going to look at more closely in a little bit. So, so there we've got this, this general definition of integrity that I think most of us can grasp. We, we've got the idea of integrity in our heads. And the application of that definition is that we should consistently do the right thing according to strong moral principles. And this is where it gets really interesting because next we're going to look at what our culture has to say about integrity. Our current cultural understanding of integrity really has roots at least as deep as some of the great thinkers of the 1800s. They were great thinkers, but they were fallible too, as we're going to see. Mark Twain is one of my favorite authors. He was a deep thinker. And he said on the one hand that while he believed in an almighty God, uh, he, he didn't believe in the Holy Scriptures. He didn't believe in providence. He didn't believe in eternal judgment. And yet at the same time, he declares this, always do right. This will gratify some people and astonish the rest. Well, he's absolutely right. Integrity is always about doing the right thing to the pleasure of some and the astonishment of the, of the rest of the people. But What's the right thing to do, especially if you don't believe the scriptures? What's the right thing to do? Well, inevitably, what you're going to come up with is your own invention of what the right thing to do is. Ralph Waldo Emerson, he was a a philosopher and a poet, a transcendentalist. Uh, He was a contemporary of Mark Twain's. He viewed integrity as deeply personal. It was almost a mystical thing for him. He said, nothing is at last sacred but the integrity of your own mind. 
So essentially what Emerson is saying here is that the only thing that matters in the end is your own virtue. But I believe that there is a distinct difference in how a follower of Christ measures what matters in the end. And surely it's not my own virtue. Now, of course, I want, I hope that people remember me uh, when I'm gone uh, as a man of integrity and virtue. But you know, the only thing I truly care about is whether they see Christ in me. It is, is whether they see the grace that he has shown me. I want them to see Christ above all things. Now, Mary Ann Evans, you might have uh, heard of her. Uh, She was one of the leading writers of the Victorian era. And she wrote under a male pen name, George Eliot, because she was concerned about uh, discrimination from, from the males who would not take her very seriously as a woman in those days. She was another contemporary of Mark Twain and, and Emerson. Now, she saw integrity essentially as being true to yourself. Keep true, she says. Never be ashamed of doing right. Decide on what you think is right and stick to it. But keep true to what? (laughs) Keep true to what? What is right? Are we really the judge of what's right and true for ourselves? So fast forward to our time. Based on these thoughts that came before us, uh, the meaning of of integrity continues to evolve. Billionaire Warren Buffett, he's the fourth wealthiest person in the world. He understands integrity to be basically an essential commodity for success in business. He says, in looking for people to hire, you look for three qualities, integrity, intelligence, and energy. And if they don't have the first, the other two will kill you. (laughs) In other words, a person with no integrity, but who has a great deal of intelligence and energy to do a job is going to turn out to be trouble for you. That's very true. And so in a sense, Buffett here rightly sees the value of integrity, but it's in a kind of cold, calculated, commercial sense, isn't it? It's, a, it's kind of a commodity. Integrity is good for business. But what kind of integrity? What, on what set of moral values is integrity based in this realm? What defines integrity? Who defines integrity? Well, uh, there's a website out there called Awaken the Greatness Within that tries to define uh, integrity for us. This website was founded, according to their About page, in 2015, among other things, to help people to develop success from within. I'm not sure what that means. But this is how that website founder defines integrity. Having integrity means doing the right thing in a reliable way. Okay, I'm with him so far. That's pretty good. But then he goes on to say, it's a personality trait that we admire since it means a person has a moral compass that doesn't waver. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure integrity is more than just a personality trait. And so we'll just leave that aside and give him the benefit of the doubt here. But again, what exactly is right? Nobody ever seems to define this except our culture as a whole. Which moral compass ought a person to use? 
So if I stick to my moral compass, as I find it in God's word, am I still a man of integrity in a world that has redefined morality? Sadly, no, according to the new changed morality. Isn't that ironic? Uh, We got to stick to our moral compass, but we're going to change the rules. It's kind of weird. But here's what I think is the the culture's answer to that question. Our culture defines what is right in a hyper-individualistic way, doesn't it? I mean, after all, since we can customize everything else in our lives, why not customize integrity? Doesn't integrity mean one thing for me and something else for you? So here's an anonymous quote from somebody who really captures how our culture defines integrity. Achievement is not the most important thing authenticity is. Well, I agree that achievement isn't the most important thing, of course. But authenticity? According to our culture, integrity is very much wrapped up in the idea of authenticity, of this idea of being true to yourself. Being true to yourself is the right thing to do. What is right is purely subjective. And so what's right is to live according to your feelings and your personal beliefs about who you should be. And so people who live by this uh, version of integrity feel as though no one, not even God, uh, can tell them who to be. And that the only dogma that really matters is what they believe to be true and what they want for themselves. Their their thoughts become the new reality somehow that trumps everything that we see around us and, of course, what God has to say about all these things. And so the only way to be yourself, according to this view, is to be true to yourself, to be authentic, authentic. So that's the culture's view of integrity. And so now let's take a look at God's definition of integrity. Our passage today, and in fact the whole Bible, begs to differ with the culture's view. In fact, emphatically so. Here's our verse again. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. And so let's just walk through this verse basically word by word. First, whoever walks. Well, what the Holy Spirit here uh, through Solomon is describing is your pattern of life. What are your life's habits? How do you conduct your life? Are you a holy person on Sunday but a heathen the rest of the week? Or do you strive to live up to God's standard every moment of every single day? Just as God declares in Leviticus eleven forty four, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy for I am holy. Isn't God here commanding his people to be something different than they naturally are? God is declaring that he is our standard for what's right and not ourselves. And so next, we carry on with the sentence here, whoever walks in what? In integrity. Well, the Hebrew word for integrity here is tome, which, like the Latin root for our English word, carries this idea of wholeness and completeness, but it goes a whole lot farther than that. 
Tome is perfection, it's purity, it's innocence. But tome, this word for integrity, is always used in the context of the righteousness that God expects of us. Of our faithfulness to him. Of our unwavering devotion to the commands of God so that we pattern every single moment of every day of our lives after him and not ourselves. This is exactly what the Jews would have heard reading this verse. Integrity means not only to believe in God, but to actually walk in his ways in thought, word, and deed. The foundation of life for them, uh, and, and, and it really is for us too, the foundation of life was the Ten Commandments and the rest of God's law. This is God's self-revelation of his holiness and his revelation to us of who we're supposed to be. Biblical integrity also means confession of sin. That seems counterintuitive, but it means to admit our wrongs. And so we find King David singing his song of confession to God in in Psalm 51, verse 4, after his sin with Bathsheba. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You see, David is sincere in his desire to turn away from the evil that he had committed and that God would, as he says in verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Isn't that a man of integrity? That's what integrity means, is to turn to God and learn to be true to God. The Jews who were reading verse 9 of chapter 10 in Proverbs understood that there was no other measure of integrity in the entire universe except for the holiness of God. God is the God of integrity. Numbers 23 verse 19, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? You see, that only, that only touches the tip of the iceberg. God is perfect in all of his ways. There is nothing that's, that's corrupt about God. But there's something that's corrupt about us, and it's called sin. We change our minds, don't we? That's what we've seen in our culture in the last several decades. What's right and wrong has been turned on its head. And so Isaiah declares in in chapter 5, verse 20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And so the question is, what are we using to measure our integrity? You know how... You know how uh, this happens to me all the time. You're, you need to measure something, right? And you go look for the tape measure. I've got probably six or eight of them, and I never can find it when I need it. And uh, so what, uh, what do I end up doing? Well, I end up walking it off, you know, and I'm, I'm guesstimating the distance. I get a piece of string, and I, I measure something with it, and then, then try to hold it as I go over to see if it'll fit. And, you know, do all of those kind of goofy things, because I just give up on finding the measuring tape. Use your hands, you know, to measure. You know, if I stretch it really as far as I can, then I can count the number. It just, it never really works out. 
You see, we would never be successful at building a house, say, if we worked like that, if we worked without a measuring tape, something that we can count on. We would never measure the two-by-fours with hand spans or paces or a piece of string and expect to build a house with precision. Well, our lives are a house that we're building to, right? And this is what people are doing with their lives when they refuse to understand integrity in God's eyes. When they refuse to base integrity on true moral principles. The principles upon which God has commanded us to live. The principle of wisdom which is the structure of the universe. God is the measuring tape for our integrity. He is the standard for right and wrong. And so back to our verse. Whoever walks in integrity walks how? He walks securely. Well, the Hebrew word for securely is bata, and it means a person who walks in integrity walks in confidence with the utter absence of any sort of potential doom. You see, you remember all all the stories about Israel. When Israel was faithful to God, uh, everything was great. They lived in security. They were apart from any kind of possible doom or danger uh, because God uh, kept Israel completely safe. But this safety depended entirely on the, the integrity of the Jews, didn't it? That is, whether they were true to God. Leviticus 25, 18 and 19 says, Therefore you shall do my statutes and keep my rules and perform them, that's integrity, and then you will dwell in the land securely. The land will yield its fruit and you will eat your fill and dwell in it securely. In other words, when we live in integrity, in true faithfulness to God, we're safe. And that's because everything that God commands of us, everything that God expects of us, everything that God requires of us is good for us. Absolutely everything. But when we don't walk in integrity, and all of us in this room uh, have that potential, and I would dare to venture that perhaps most of us have uh, misstepped (laughs) this week in our walk in integrity, When we don't walk in integrity, we are not safe. If this becomes the pattern of our lives, unrepentant pattern of our lives, we're not safe anymore. And this is what the second half of Proverbs 10.9 is about. But he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. So I want you to notice first what Solomon considers to be the opposite of integrity. It's crooked ways. The opposite of the way of integrity is crooked ways. It's not that the wicked person or the fool is not being true to himself. That's not what Solomon is telling us. No, the crooked way means that the pattern of life he or she has chosen is contrary to who God expects him to be. And because of that, he who turns away from God will be found out. And that is, uh, he will face certain judgment. A person who does not fear God has lost his respect for God. He considers the Almighty to be beneath him. A person who is true to himself 
is sure to submit God to his own judgment. And that's because the perfect expression, brothers and sisters, of free will is sin. When we're true to ourselves, we oppose God. And that's exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden, isn't it? Adam and Eve walked in integrity before the Lord. They they were walking in paradise. Everything was exactly as it should be. They were walking securely until they decided to put themselves above God. And yet in Scripture we do find men and women of integrity who were not perfect, who were just like us. But they strived like David to do exactly as God commanded them to do. Abraham, for instance, was willing to do anything that God wanted, including to sacrifice his son. And yet he didn't do that, of course, because God kept him from it in the end. Noah walked with God in Genesis 6-9, even though nobody around him did. This is kind of the way we feel in our culture today. Nobody's walking with the Lord today is what we feel like, right? It's largely true. But even though nobody around Noah walked with the Lord, he did. Walking with God, you see, describes his entire relationship with God. It describes his life, the pattern of his life, the pattern of his thinking. He was always turning to God. He was a man of integrity, in other words. Even when, as Genesis 6, 5 uh, says, even when every intention of the thoughts of everybody around Noah was only evil continually. Now we could go on and on and on through the Bible, but I think the best summary of all of this is Hebrews 11, which we call the Hall of Fame of Faith. If you have not read that before, I want you to go home and read it this afternoon. The Hall of Fame of Faith describes men and women who believed God's promises without seeing those promises fulfilled. They had come before Christ and they died before Christ. And yet these were people who endured hardship and torture and death because they were true to God and not themselves. They sacrificed their lives to be who God wanted them to be. Because they understood that that's what was best for them. Their integrity took a great deal of courage. But it was a courage that was born not of a motivational speech. Or of striving to find success from within. Or of trying to be true to themselves. Their courage was born of faith. Of trusting in a trustworthy God who had made promises to them. And of having the integrity to do as God commanded. Even in the toughest of circumstances. And so I've got to just read a little portion of this, of Hebrews 11. Uh, We'll read 35 through 38 and you'll get the picture. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Do you hear that? They chose death because they knew it would give them life. They would not recant their faith because they knew what was ahead of them in glory. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. 
wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. You see, brothers and sisters, true faith means to trust God no matter what. And likewise, true integrity means to be true to God no matter what. Not a single time does the Bible ever say to be true to ourselves. The Bible always calls us to be true to God every single time. And here's why. Without God's holy standards, we're like the the Gentiles who lived in the futility of their minds in Ephesians 4.17. If you have uh, good memories or or, uh, present memories of your time before you knew the Lord, you know what we're talking about here. These, these people were alienated from God because of their ignorance. And, and this is why being true to ourselves is just simply an exercise of tragic futility. And so instead, here's what the Holy Spirit through Paul tells us to do with ourselves. In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 20. But that is not the way that you learned Christ. In other words... Don't continue to live in that old lifestyle. Don't continue to be that person. And so that is not the way that you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. The truth is in Jesus, nowhere else. And so he goes on to say, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self. You hear that? Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Isn't that integrity? Isn't that what the Bible means by integrity? Is to put off the old self and to put on the new self and become the likeness of God in our behavior and in our attitudes, and even in our thoughts. You see, we don't want to be true to ourselves. We want to to be made new. (laughs) We want God to transform us, to, to, to work in our personalities, in our gifts, in our talents, in our interests, to cause us to be people who glorify Him according to His holiness so that we can be true to God. And I think, brothers and sisters, There is no better time, no better opportunity to walk in godly integrity than right now in the middle of a world crisis. I don't know if you read Pastor John's blog uh, the other day, but you should look it up and, and read it. It's The View from My Chair. If you Google that, you'll find it. But here's what he says. This is our time. This is a time for the church to stand up and show the world what true godly love looks like. This is a golden opportunity, a unique moment in history when we can be messengers of the gospel in a profound and practical way. Let's refuse to succumb to the spirit of self-preservation and isolation that seems to pervade everything and everyone around us and become an oasis of joy and peace and compassion. We can do it. God has prepared us. He has given us this opportunity. And let's make the most of it. I wholeheartedly agree. You see, if we're to be men and women of integrity in times such as these, then you and I need to learn more than ever how to be like Jesus. 
And so instead of reacting in fear and trepidation, let's be a living exclamation point of the sure hope that we have regardless of whether we live or die. Because we have the sure hope that there is a place where there is no such thing as a virus. Where there is perfect fellowship and union with our Savior forever and ever and ever. And instead of making fun of people who are overreacting in fear. And brothers and sisters, I've seen a lot of this online. And some from Christians making fun of people who are buying too much toilet paper and doing all of those kinds of things. Instead of making fun of them or mocking them, how about let's be true to God? Let's be true to God by showing people the peace that is found in knowing Jesus Christ. Let's respond with compassion about their fear. There are people right here in our town who do not know Jesus and they have no idea that it is possible not to be terrified right now. And the only ones who can show them the peace of God are people like you and me who by God's grace know the Lord Jesus. And so let's not squander this opportunity. You see, Jesus never made fun of people or mocked people who were afraid. He had compassion for them. And what did he do? He gave them hope. In his final hours with his disciples, Jesus knew that his disciples were terrified. They were afraid. They didn't know uh, what the future would hold. They didn't even know if they had a future. This was a, a moment of deep crisis. But instead of making light of their fear. What did he do? He gave them comfort. John 16, he says these beautiful words. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Isn't that good news? And so whether all of this coronavirus stuff is, is overrated or not, that doesn't amount to a hill of beans what our opinion about that is. What matters is whether we as followers of Christ are ministering with godly integrity to those around us who are terrified. What matters is that we become the ones who bring this world comfort by saying, take heart, Jesus has overcome the world. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And so let's be the people of integrity who reflect the love of Christ, truly caring for people's spiritual and physical needs, looking with compassion on those who may end up in dire need as money becomes tight and jobs are lost. That's bound to happen. Let's be the people who even give away our food and give away our money. And yes, even that, that golden toilet paper if necessary. But let's be people who trust that God will use our sacrifices for his glory and in those sacrifices he will take care of us. In other words, this really is our time. This is our moment to shine and to show the world the truest integrity of all, that of our Lord Jesus Christ, who willingly did exactly as his father wanted. And he died on the cross, a bloody, painful death and suffered the unmitigated wrath of his father for the forgiveness of our sins. Let's be true to our father too. 
just like Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the depth of integrity that you call us to. We thank you, Lord, for the the challenge of learning to live for you at every moment with every breath of our lives. We pray, Father, that you would cause us to be people of integrity. And in this time, that, that the integrity that we have would put you on display, not ourselves, but you, that we might be able to show this world your mercy and your love and care and, above all, your salvation. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.